Go ahead and find your seats. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Amazing. Everybody, how good was that? I love Baby Dedication Sundays. I love Baby Dedication Sundays because, well, there's so many adorable babies to look at. They're incredible. And also just to hear the vision behind uh, parents and how much they love their kids. There's nothing more that reminds me more about how much God loves us than when I see parents loving their kids well. So, uh, man, it's so thankful for this church family, so thankful to be a part. Uh, my name is Donnie Tapey, if you don't know me. I get the privilege of serving as a family pastor here. And Joe said this earlier, but I just wanna say happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Happy Mother's Day, such a fun day to celebrate. The same time, I do also wanna acknowledge, I know sometimes for, for Mother's Day, sometimes that's also for people who have lost a mom recently or for people who maybe have desire to be a mom and haven't been able to do that yet. So we realize that Mother's Day kinda has a, a tension in it, both a celebration about being a mom and celebrating the mothers in our lives because everyone's got a mother. <laughs> but it's also, there's also those other aspects. And I find, I don't know about you guys, but I find that the most um, meaningful things in life are often held in a little bit of tension with some joy and with some sorrow. Uh, and I find that Mother's Day is kind of fits that bill for me. Uh, and so I just wanna encourage you, if you are in any of those camps or that's how Mother's Day is for you, just know that we love you and we see you. And one of the best things to do is just to share with someone about it who's close in your community. And man, God wants to work in and through those things to teach you and bring life, amen? Man, just wanted to say that just on the, it was on my heart to do that. So most of you know our vision series this year and kind of what we're leaning into is Jesus' prayer for us that, Lord, would you make us one? So make us one with you, Lord, and make us one with one another. Uh, and that comes out of John 17, where Jesus prays for the church that they would be one with God and again, one with one another. So in the beginning of the book of Ephesians, so we're spending the whole year basically in the book of Ephesians because it talks about unity, talks about identity. It kind of sets a foundation for who we are in Jesus. Um, and we're going through Ephesians and it's hard to be unified with others if each individual person doesn't know who they are. If you don't know as a follower of Jesus who you are, it's hard to be unified with the other followers of Jesus, right? And so for us, we're taking time to pause in the month of May to do an identity in Christ practice, essentially to slow down and to ask, hey, God, who are we? What, 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 uh, what do you say about us, God, and how can we learn uh, about that from what we see in Ephesians? So we have this nifty little bookmark. I meant to grab one before I came up here, but nifty little bookmark that basically is a daily practice of you spending time in God, uh, spending time with God and asking him, Lord, uh, what do you have on your heart for me? And basically soaking in the truths that God speaks about you, about your identity. So that's what we're doing this month of May. And so we're slowing down not to progress in Ephesians. So we stopped at two, chap uh, chapter two, verse 10. So we're kind of sitting in the first part of Ephesians. And so a bit of what I wanted to, Joe actually last, a few weeks ago, he talked about the fact that the phrase in Christ is used, I think, 91 times in the New Testament. And it's the most often used phrase to describe a follower of Jesus. 
that even more than Christian, 91 times, I think Christian is only used three or four times, but in Christ is 91 times that you are described as in Christ. So that's kind of what our, our, uh, our identity practice this month is focused on. It's asking God, who am I in Christ? And letting the Holy Spirit direct us and guide us in that through scripture. So um, today, the, the phrase, um, one of the pieces of our identity that I wanted to focus on is that we are adopted in Christ. That in Christ, we are adopted into the family of God. And speaking of adoption, um, y'all know Sebastian DeBrat, that little cute boy who was up here being dedicated a moment ago. Uh, Sebastian is amazing. I'm really thankful for him. And recently, they had Sebastian's adoption celebration where they basically had a party celebrating that he was now a part of the DeBrat family. So he is now Sebastian DeBrat. And so at this party, we were hanging out and stuff, and, and I, I, I actually wasn't able to be there that day, but I got this picture later, and I wanted you to see what happened at this party. That's my daughter right there. That's my daughter. It's my one-year-old daughter. Uh, all joking aside, I got this picture. I died laughing because it's adorable. Uh, and then, And also, she's like, you know, She's got the head cocked back, like receiving this kiss. And so it's so funny. I remember I said to Oxlade Mary Beth, I said, man, now that he's a DeBrat, he's got all this confidence. He thinks he's like Casanova. He can just walk in and, you know, smooch my daughter. I was like, so I've got my eyes on you, Sebastian, wherever you are in this room. But in all, all joking aside, that came to my mind. Like, man, now that Sebastian is a DeBrat, he owns this confidence now because he's a DeBrat. He's brought in. You know, Sebastian being adopted doesn't erase uh, his past or, or the things that he'll learn about one day about his origins or his, or his biological family. It doesn't change those things. But it does mean that from that celebration day onward, that point forward and into the future, he bears the DeBrat name. For one, it means that they claim him, it means that Alex and Mary Beth have claimed him, that the DeBrats intended for that to happen. And so they've taken responsibility for Sebastian. And so now for Sebastian, that's, that's the, the, the DeBrats, they've literally taken responsibility for his life and his care. But for Sebastian, now Sebastian has a new level of access to them. He has a new level of access to their help, their love, their affection, their resources, their family. And not only does he have access to them, but he's recognized by that name, that other people will call him by that name. And the people around him, his community, know him as, as the son of Alex and Mary Beth. And they know him as brother to Sonny, Sylvan, and Willow. And at one point in time, he was only the guest of the family. He, was, he had only come in, he was a visitor, kind of looking from the outside in, and now he's in the family, looking out. It, the family gives him this piece of his identity. And other than Sebastian being unbearably cute and adorable, can we bring up that photo from the baby dedication with the little, with his bow tie? It just kills me every time I see it. Maybe, can we do that? That's okay, maybe it'll pop, there it is, look at that. He's adorable with the little bow tie. It's like other than him being unbearably cute, Sebastian had little to do with the process. In fact, nothing. He was just being received 
being loved on, receiving the love that he was being given. They have placed their name upon upon Sebastian, upon Sebastian, and they've said, you are mine. To Sebastian, his adoption is not just this like idea in, in the sky. It's not this thing that he kind of, oh yeah, I'm adopted now legally on some paperwork somewhere. For, Bastion, his adoption, for, for Sebastian, his adoption is very real and it's very practical. It's actually on the day-to-day. Like he wakes up, who are the first people he sees? Alex and Mary Beth. When he wakes up and he, he's hungry, where does he go to? Alex and Mary Beth. He's every bit of his need to keep him safe, to keep him warm. Everything is based on this adoption that he's been through. They're providing all of that for him. So friends of mine, church family, man, my my heart this morning, and I'm gonna cry, here we go. My heart this morning for for each and every one of us. (laughs) I've been sitting in this all week, so I feel like I'm overflowing just with how amazing the, the adoption of God is that we have, that we've been given. It's, it's hard to comprehend. And so what I'm trying to do is take you along with me on this journey to like help you understand. And I only have 20 minutes to do it in. So Lord, help me. What's so good about it though is that like friends, my heart for us is that we would be affected in the same way by our spiritual adoption into the kingdom of God. That everything about our lives would be impacted Like you're not meant to be adopted into the family of God and have it be this ethereal like idea that doesn't really affect your day-to-day life. Like, oh yeah, I'm adopted, but I live dejected. Oh yeah, I'm adopted, but I live subjected to slavery and to sin. We're not meant to live in this duality. We're meant to live under the the identity that we have in God. And this is the scripture that we're wanting to go into today. It's in Ephesians 1.5. And now there are are a thousand things I could say about adoption and earthly adoption. I'm not qualified to talk about it. I don't know enough about it. But among all those things, I feel like the Lord has placed on my heart for this morning some simple truths that are just burning within me. So I wanna read this passage, Ephesians 1.5 through 6. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. By the way, I'm gonna begin in the the very beginning of Ephesians and read up into the verse we're gonna kind of camp in today. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We could spend all day there as well. Verse four, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Verse five, in love he predestined us for, here it is, adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So we are adopted to sonship in Christ or through Christ. So we're gonna answer three questions today. What what is adoption to sonship? How are we adopted to sonship? And why are we adopted to sonship? Because I think it's so important. My answers to these are not long or lengthy, so we will end on time. But the beautiful thing about 
what adoption is, is that there are so many ramifications of it. We could do a whole sermon series on the ramifications of, of our adoption in Christ. But the simplicity of the idea is where we need to begin. Because if we don't really grasp like this is who I am, then all the implications don't really matter. It's like if for Sebastian, he was living somewhere else and not in Alex and Mary Beth's home, but he, he was adopted officially theirs, but he was living elsewhere. His adoption would just be on paper. But the fact that he's been brought into their home changes everything. And that's where we are meant to live as followers of Jesus, is in the household of God. Okay, so what? What is adoption? To, and not just adoption, but adoption to sonship that Paul talks about here. So the single Greek word that's translated adoption to sonship is weothesia. And it's actually a legal term referring to the full legal standing of an adopted male heir in Roman culture. So that's the culture Paul was writing to when he's writing to the Ephesians. He's trying to help them understand that in Christ, you are now an adopted son of God with full rights as a male heir. So now this wasn't a slight to women. It was actually the complete opposite. So Paul wanted to ensure his meaning was clear. So it wasn't adoption in general. It wasn't adoption to daughterhood specifically. It was adoption to sonship. Why? Because in Roman culture, adopted males had the same rights and privileges as biological males. So now for females, adoption was very different. The same rights, privileges, statuses were not given. In fact, adoption of females was actually, some scholars believe it was very rare because they don't have very many documented records of it. There are some though. And so Paul's not supporting this philosophy of adoption. He's not getting behind it. What Paul's doing, what he's saying to you as a follower of Jesus, and what he's saying to the Ephesians in context is he's saying that as a follower of Jesus, male or female, you being adopted into the kingdom of God gives you the same rights as sons receive in Roman culture. So he's talking to the Ephesians. He's saying, you're not getting uh, rights in the household of God based upon the culture, what the culture believes. He's saying we're redefining what it means to be in the household of God. And it's not based on Roman culture, it's based on the kingdom of God. It's based on who God is. So he's saying, women, you get the same rights. Men, you get the same rights that you are brought into the household of God. Does that make sense? Awesome. Oh, my wife, <laughs> my wife challenged me. I tend to say, does that make sense often? And my wife challenged me to not say, does that make sense even once? And I just failed. That's okay. She tries to help me be better. So I'm sorry, honey. I'm sorry. On Mother's Day, I let you down. But that's okay. So <laughs> what, what I love about this is that for Paul, if he had used a legal term for adoption, for adopting a daughter or a general term for adoption, it would have meant for them in, in their time and culture something different, or it would have caused confusion. Wait, like, so what kind of standing do I have in the kingdom as a woman? Or what kind of standing do I have in the kingdom as a man? There wouldn't have been an understanding. So Paul's trying to be very clear using the culture at the time to help them to understand what does adoption mean? So um, adoption to sonship. What, what are just a few things? We could... I, I, only, I tried to fit everything on one slide. I could have had six slides. So what does adoption in God's family mean 
when you're talking about not just adoption to a natural family, but adoption in God's family. It means that you're a co-heir with Christ, Romans 8, 17. A co-heir means you're literally standing next to Jesus as far as your status before God. That's unbelievable because we're given the righteousness of Christ as clothing. These are Everything I'm saying, I feel like in this sermon, I realized I had, to, I had to condense it. Everything's a sermon because everything can be expounded on and there's just so much here. It's endless to bask in and to enjoy. So we're gonna keep going here. Spirit of adoption. Uh, so so we, we've received a spirit of adoption, not a spirit of slavery or fear. So you've been brought near to a place of intimacy with God. Did you know that? that you've been brought near to a place where you can call God Abba, which is like saying daddy. God, that I can say daddy. I, I do not deserve that. I haven't been good enough. I've not been righteous enough, but God brings me in does everything for me. And he gives me this right to be called a son. He says, you can call me daddy from now on. That is who you are, follower of Jesus. Sons and daughters have been given the full rights as a child of God's household. Ephesians 1.5, you have a right to be called God's child. If you believe in Jesus, John 1.12, God is not only your God, he is your father. In the same way he relates to Jesus, John 20, 17, that's another one that's hard to believe. Jesus talking to his disciples in that one after he's been raised from the, from the dead and he said, I'm going to my God and your God and my father and your father. And that's how he describes it to them before he departs. So God works all things for our good, Romans 8. God loves to give good, good gifts to his children, Matthew 7, 11. The Bible is full about what it means for you to be an adopted son or daughter in the kingdom. And this is God's effort to lavishly show you this is who you are. And for you to be able to soak in it. There's, um, it's funny, as I talk about um, Sebastian, I realize that he's a child. So it's a little bit hard sometimes for us to like get in the headspace of what it would be like to be adopted. So, Use your imagination here. We're going to history. There's a guy named Gaius Octavius. Anyone know who that is? Gaius Octavius, history majors. You do know who he is. You've heard of him. So Gaius Octavius is also also known as Octavian. It's a kind of casual name, I guess. Was born to a wealthy family. But aside from that, he had little to no standing in the Roman political structure. He definitely didn't have enough money to be a senator or to kind of enter the higher enter the higher echelons of society. Um, And his one connection to politics, though, in any way, was that his uncle was Julius Caesar. Everyone's heard of that name, I assume. So Julius Caesar, the famous Julius Caesar. But Julius Caesar was assassinated. Uh, I forget the date right now. I forgot to put it in my notes. But Julius Caesar was assassinated. And at the time, Octavian heard the news And he was actually warned because he's part of his family to go and hide with some soldiers and to be, but he instead decided to go to Rome, to go to Italy, to find out, uh, now modern day Italy, to go to Rome to find out what is happening and what's going on as far as 
his, uh, his family and if he had any inheritance at all. He had no idea what to expect. So he goes to Rome and what he finds uh, is that uh, Julius Caesar has named him as his adopted son in his will, posthumously. So he's named him his adopted son in his will and he's given him two thirds of his estate of everything that he owned. So Julius Caesar had no son, had no, so, so Gaius all of a sudden, Gaius Octavius finds out that he's the heir to the, uh, basically leadership of Rome to become the next Caesar. And he finds out that he's inherited two thirds of his estate. I mean, can you imagine that one day you're just like a guy who doesn't have much political pull in any way. He's working, doing these things here and there. He's kind of had a smattering of roles throughout his life. And then all of a sudden you come to find out you're the next leader of Rome. Emperor wasn't even a thing then. He actually was the first emperor and he became Caesar Augustus, the famous emperor in Rome that everyone knows of and even people, historians think of as the greatest leader in history. And this is who this guy is that all of a sudden one day he finds out that he's heir to this entire empire and he steps into that. Can you imagine the shift and struggle you'd have even feeling like you're faking it? I mean, you know, the first meeting of, I don't know how that works, Caesar Augustus, they're all at a table, a round table. I don't know what it is, but it's like, what do you do? You know, people are asking you questions. You're like, uh, yes, in my wise, profound opinion. You know, you're like, how do you fake that till you make it? There's this, this identity thrust upon you. But beloved in Christ, we have something way bigger than Caesar Augustus was given. We have an identity that's literally as large as the universe, that it's the God of the universe that says, you are my son. You're an heir with my son who's divine. You're a co-heir with him because of his righteousness, that that is the identity that he's placed on you. Isn't that amazing? Okay, so that's just a little example from history to kind of help us understand. But, and so that's our first question. What is adoption to sonship? So we've kind of defined a little bit, man, here's what is adoption. Now, how? How has God adopted us? That's the next question I wanna answer. So let's go back to our scripture. It says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through, through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So God was not obligated to adopt you into his family. You weren't pushed on God. He didn't need you to fill his own emotional or physical need for affection. He didn't feel bad for you and take you in out of pity. You did not earn it or do enough good things to please him. The opposite is actually true. That despite our sin and failures, despite our imperfections and our shortcomings, Despite all those things, even in spite of us as, as humans crucifying him on the cross in the flesh, in spite of all that, he wanted you. The scripture here says, in accordance with what his pleasure and his will. Did you know it pleases God to bring you into his household? It actually is another way to translate it. It's uh, the kind intention of his will, the kind intention toward you of his will, that that is how God adopted you, that he meant it to happen and it was kindness that made it happen, just like it was for Sebastian. That is how you're adopted into the kingdom of God. So the way that God adopts us into his kingdom is actually meant to counteract 
the biggest lie that we all come against in our lives. And what's the biggest lie? It's the one that happened in Genesis 3, uh, 1 through 5. It says this in, in Genesis. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And then here's the lie. The serpent said, You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what is the lie there? It's that God can't be trusted. He doesn't have my best interest at heart. He's holding good things back from me. He can't be trusted. I need to take my life into my own hands and decide for myself what's good and right and true and beautiful. But God, the amazing thing about how God saved us is that he steps into this situation and he says, no, even though you've sinned and caused a chasm between us in love, like it says in our scripture, I'm gonna sacrifice of myself. I'm gonna take on flesh. I'm gonna enter into your pain and your experience. I'm gonna take your sins upon me on the cross and provide a way back to relationship with me. And to do this pleases me and I willed it to be so. It's amazing. It's like the antidote to that lie is how God saves us and how he adopts us into his family is the complete opposite. He takes away every reason to mistrust him. He says, I'll move heaven and earth to make it. So do you believe, church, that this is how God sees you? Do you believe that this is how he invites you in to his household? I mean, if I was to tell you something, if I was to tell you you're adopted in God, we want that to affect our actual lives and how we live. If I was to come to you and say, hey, your house is on fire, you wouldn't be like, thank you so much, I'll take that under consideration. You'd be like, oh, really? Well, where, how'd you hear that? You would, you would move into action. Similarly, if I said, I just dropped a winning lottery ticket in your mailbox at your house, you weren't home, did you get it? You'd be like, one second. And you'd race out the door to go check because there's something at stake. That's what I want for us this morning is that when we hear I'm adopted to God, we go, what posture do I need to take in my life to receive this? Is it this posture? Is it waking up every morning to spend time with God? Is it cutting out Netflix? Is it cutting out the things in my life that steal joy? Is it cutting out the things that try to steal my time from me? Is it cutting out whatever it is, however I need to situate myself? It's throwing away our lives for this pearl of great price that we found. Say, I want it, God, I want it all. Would you, however I need to do it, would you do it? And would you help me, God, experience this? If there's anything in the way, I wanna cut it out and throw it away. I feel like that's the invitation this morning is to sit in this. I wanna sit in this till I'm 80 years old because I want to experience even more the depth of the love of God for me. Amen? So our final point, and I'm gonna make this quick, is why. Why did God do this? He did it for the praise of the glory of his grace. Verse six, I'll do, start in verse five. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So why did God adopt you? We've talked about the what and the why, or the what and the how. This is the why. 
in love according to the good pleasure of his will so that in order that his beautiful, unending, new every morning grace could be experienced and shown to the world. It's literally so that the grace of God could be on display for people to see. And this praise of his glory, of his grace, sometimes we hear that and we're like, that feels outside of me. That's like God's thing, his glory. But that is synonymous with your ultimate eternal joy and satisfaction. That when you find yourself in a place of giving praise to God for who he is and for his grace, that our joy actually wells up inside of us and overflows out. That we are made to worship. Did you know that, church? That we're made to worship. How many of us are always pursuing things almost like worship? Whether it's the things in our job or money or all the things that vie for our affection, we're always looking to worship something. And what God is saying is, you're not meant to worship those things, you're meant to worship me. And when you do that, man, joy rises up and you will find that you are the happiest person that you've ever been. But it's when you're praising God, when you're giving glory to God, because that we're made to be in relationship with him and him alone. Does that make sense? The last way I feel like I could um, communicate this is this. Hey, Lachlan, could you come here, buddy? No, <laughs> oh, I thought it was gonna work. Can I come down to you? Okay. Hey, bud, you remember what we talked about the other day? If I was to take, what would you rather do? Would you rather watch a show or would you rather go on an adventure with daddy? Go ahead, you could say, you can answer honestly, this may backfire. Oh, he said, watch the show. But that's okay. I asked him the other day in private, and I promise what he said was go on an adventure with daddy. That's okay, though. He's doing that to be funny, I think. The point being is this, regardless of his answer, that's also, that's a teachable moment there as well. Regardless of his answer, I know what's best for him. When I... When, when, we, when I'm with Lachlan and he's at home and he's watching a show or even playing with Legos, it doesn't have to be a show, and I come up to him and I say, hey, buddy, do you wanna go outside and look at stuff? Sometimes we'll do that. It's like, we'll go and look in the yard for like bugs or this and that. He's like, yeah, let's go. And he's like ready to go. He's ready to spend time with me and to come and be with his father. And when he does that, the joy of that doesn't last like the momentary joy or like after two or three shows or an hour of playing Legos or whatever it is, the joy wanes from that pretty quick, but we can spend a day together. And if I'm engaged with him, his joy is just top all day long to where he'll go to bed that night exhausted <laughs> from the joy he's experienced of being with me. And I'm not that great. Like I'm not that funny. I don't have always the right things to say. Like there, there's way, a lot of ways that I'm, I'm probably, I could be even a little boring maybe, but there's like, I, I wanna talk to him, asking these big questions he doesn't know, but it's like, he just loves to be with me. Like, friends, that's what it's like for God and you, that when you begin to spend time with him and be with him, there's literally this joy that begins to rise up inside of you and you're gonna find that you're the happiest version of yourself when you're with your heavenly father. That's why he's adopted you, so that he can be with you. If I could have the band come up, um, and if I could have our prayer prophetic team come up, y'all can stand, we're gonna close. My heart for us in this is not to, you know, I find myself often realizing that I have a bit of an orphan spirit at times. 
I have a spirit there where I can look at my life and I can think, man, I'm alone. I need to do this by myself. I'm, I have to pull myself up by my own bootstraps, which by the way, if you think about that, it doesn't even make sense. I looked that up and it's actually used to be an insult used to describe something insane that someone was doing. And we can talk about it later, I don't have time to go into it. But the point being, the point being, now it's like this phrase of like, oh yeah, help yourself out. That is not the heart that God wants for you, especially in the family of God. That you are meant to rely on other people and most importantly, you are meant to rely on your heavenly father because he loves you and he's adopted you into his family. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna go ahead and worship. If our prayer and prophetic team can come up, if there's anything in this at all, uh, how you relate to God or how you feel like you can't relate to God or how you feel like maybe you've been hitting a wall in relating to God on this level as your heavenly father, I just want you to come and receive prayer because I believe God has something for you and wants to break through and help you to experience him as the heavenly father that he is. So. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you went to the cross on our behalf, God. Thank you that not only did you make a way for us to come back into relationship with you, Jesus, but you've done it in such a way that it literally takes away any, any chance of us looking at you and going, man, what's his intention toward me? What is your intention toward me, God? How can I misunderstand this? It, it removes any ability of us to look at you, God, and see anything but unmerited love and grace and mercy. So God, we just ask that you would translate that to our hearts now, Lord. That as we think about you being our adopted father, Lord, you being the one who has called us by name, chosen us before the foundations of the earth, that you have called us by name. Would we let that sink deep in our hearts and would we let it affect and change the everyday realities of our life? And it's in your name we pray. Amen.